$5,000 to that work. And uh, so now we'll pick it up and quickly get it done. Amen. And uh, so praise God. Remember, we're talking about the book of Revelations. I'm not going back into the book of Ezekiel, uh, Zechariah, nor Jeremiah or Daniel to confirm all of these. But what I'm doing is I'm teaching eight specific time frames. Now you might say, why do we need them? Well, we need to know certainly that the rapture of the church is upon us, is upon us. And so then after that time period, there are seven other time periods, eight time periods altogether, the last, number eight, being the eight of new beginnings, where there is a new heaven, new earth, new city, uh, new uh, nations, new river, new tree of life, and new throne that Jesus reigns on. So there are eight time periods. These time periods are very important. And these are known in these first two periods here. This is known as an outpouring of judgment upon the unrepentant. It is not upon the church. It will not touch the church. It will not touch the 144,000 that have been sealed. Not one of these men will die. Not one of these men will be killed preaching the gospel of Christ. They will all be taken away from the earth and they will not be killed. And so today we're going to start on the seven trumpets. This time period starts from chapter uh, Revelations chapter 8 and 7 through Revelations 11, 19. And we're going to start in uh, verse... Uh, we're going to read 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump over to verse 7. And it says, And when he opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, there is no time period design. Now, people can symbolize, people can think and all that, but I'm a realist. I, just, I don't think you have to explain everything in the Bible. I don't know where God come from, but he is here. And I believe him, and I want all I can get of him, whether the Quakers want him or not. Yeah, hallelujah. And so, we don't always have to have a meaning for everything. But we do know that God has said it, and that it's coming to pass, or that it has happened. And then it says, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then it goes on and explains some of that. But then in verse 7, it picks up, and it says, And the first angel sounded. Now, these take place uh, one after another. There's no really uh, time period in between these seven trumpets. They happen as quick as one is finished, another is sounded. And it says, And the first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And the third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. So here we see that really this is a battle cry. It is a war between the unrepentant, the wicked, the unbelieving, and against the holy God. And what God does, remember that all of these things in these judgments 
are not staged because God hates man. They are staged in order to cause man to know that there is a God, that there is a God and that they can call upon the name of the Lord. But the hardened heart during these time periods because of the mark of the beast, their sellout whole nature to the uh, devil and to the Antichrist, understand that their heart is so hardened that they would rather have a mountain fall upon them than to repent and be forgiven. Even during these time frames, men will be cursing God. And I'm telling you, man will get bolder, bolder and bolder as this time frame comes to the place that it takes or that it goes into motion. The closer that the church gets to the rapture, understand that these things are already going to be set in place so that when the rapture takes place, these will be set in motion simultaneously. There'll not be a long drawn out period where men are going to turn cold and hard. They are now turning cold and hard today. We are living in a generation and we're living in a time that America has created in its boundaries and uh, its coastal regions in that you can, uh, there is, the church is so diluted because of its intimidation of other religions. We are afraid to talk because they'll think that we are hateful, we're bigots, or that we're, uh, what, do, what do you call it uh, when you're against another race? Uh, thank you, prejudice. When none of that is true, but people perceive the church as being hateful because we take a stand for right and for wrong. And no other religion wants to do that. Other religions appease, deceive, simply by befriending and bringing people into their religions by deception. All the Christian faith is based upon the reality that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Amen? Therefore, man must be told that he is a sinner. People say, well, they know they're sinners. Well, I understand that. But even Israel cried out and said, what must we do? He said, you must repent. And so there has to be an acknowledgement of sin. And uh, Christianity also has to be defined by God's will and not our own. We do not shape Christianity by our society or for our society. Our society is to be shaped by God and for God. Could again, amen. Absolutely. And so in the world that we live in, because the church has become so passive, so uh, intimidated, what we have is if you go into a school today, you are going to be uh, probably taught by a Muslim. Your children are going to come into contact with a Muslim. They're going to come in contact with somebody that is gay or homosexual. Then they're going to be in contact with maybe the school nurse that is a Hindu. And all of these are accepted by the system of humanistic teaching that we send our children to. Now, I do not advocate that everybody needs to go to Christian school. I don't believe that all people in Christian schools should be 
there because they certainly don't represent Christ. Hello, amen. And they have their problem just like the uh, uh, public education has their problem. But what we do is we introduce our children because of the way of a humanistic system, we open the door for plurality or plural pluralism, which simply means that there are multiple choices of deities. And well, we have heard this all said by Oprah Winfrey and by, dare I say it, uh, yeah, Joel Osteen, by Joseph Prince and by others, that there are many ways to Jesus, many ways to God, which is a bona fide lie. There is one way to God, and his name is Jesus Christ. Now, that is not hateful. I'm not divisive. I'm not intemperate. I'm not uh, uh, just brash. I'm telling you the truth. And God gave us the truth, and we owe every man the truth. Could I get an amen? And so what will happen is this plurality of deities or pluralities of ways to appease everybody instead of segregating everybody. There are many ways that lead to Jesus Christ or that lead to God the Father. And there are not multiple ways, there is one way. But we bring in the pluralism even from the first grade on up. So we teach that all of these are acceptable, they're all a part of our culture. And they are not acceptable and they should never have been a part of our culture. America is the only culture that has corrupted and defiled itself in the name of freedom. Go to uh, Syria, go to Iran, go to Turkey, and start a Christian outreach. You might last until the sun goes down. You are going to be banned you are going to be persecuted and you are going to be run out of that country. Why? Their country is based up on a choice of faith and service that is serving Allah through a prophet called Muhammad. Now, this creates pluralism. So what happens is our children think that these are all accepted because they're in our school. They're teaching us. It has to be right. Now, whenever there are no absolutes of what, who God is and what God demands is this. When there are so many options to God, understand God is not seen as absolute. So what can man do? He can define himself. If he wants to be a woman, he can be a woman. If he wants to be a man, he can be a man. If he wants to change genders, he can change genders. If he has a sexual preference, who gets to say that he's right or wrong? Because if we go to Hinduism, they say no problem. So if you don't like the guidelines of an absolute God, you just go over here to one of the optional gods. Could I get an amen? Yeah, and so what happens is there is neither male nor female in creation, it is up to the creation itself to define itself. And all of this leads to an anti-Christ nature that invokes the wrath of God because they will not hear truth. 
God in his mercy and grace hopes they will respond to this. Remember, there is a great multitude that is born out of tribulation. You may not think it's the right way. God knows that it's the right way. Come on, amen, hallelujah. So there is hail and there is fire. A third part of the trees and all of the grass are destroyed. Now we need to understand that once that takes place, that the oxygen, talk about global warming, it'll be warm. And oxygen will literally begin to decrease. Our trees are a part of the oxidation process of our lives. We need trees to have air. We need grass to have air. So we have to have oxygen to breathe. So when this oxygen is cut down, we certainly will see sickness and disease in the area of the lungs and the heart, breathing, bronchial, and so forth. We will see all of those catapult or skyrocket, be born afresh, stronger than they've ever been, and people are going to die by the thousands. What is going to feed the cattle? They're going to die by the thousands. How about the sheep? They're going to die by the thousands. There'll be a third less place for birds to land. They will not procreate. We have to understand that this is going to be a catastrophe upon the earth. Could it get an amen? And we realize that there is going to be, as it says here, that there's going to be like a blood that is mixed with it. Well, is that really going to happen? Well, I believe if God said it's going to be mixed with blood, it's not going to be tainted with something that doesn't, that we can't see as blood. It's going to be mixed with blood. Amen. And then the second trumpet. It says in Revelations 8, 8 and 9. Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now, when it talks about that, it doesn't say a mountain. It says something like a mountain. I would perceive that it was a meteor. I would perceive that it might be a meteor shower. But it is going to hit the seas, the oceans of our planet. And it is going to hit with such a devastation that a third of the animals in the sea are going to die. The blood may come from their waste, may come from their destruction. It may come from the bodies of those that are on the ships that are destroyed. Wherever it comes from, it is going to be mixed with blood. That will devastate, again, the food chain that you and I depend on here on planet Earth. So a third of the creation that we see in Genesis 1 is going to be destroyed by the first trumpet and then a third is going to be destroyed by the second trumpet. Now there are two different things that were created, the uh, uh, plant life and then here the sea life. But they're going to be destroyed and a third of them is going to be destroyed. I don't know how it's going to happen, but realize if you lived within smelling distance of that ocean, what it would smell like. 
it would smell with a putrid smell that you would not be able to stand or to be around. You're not going to be able to draw water. You're not going to be able to fish in that ocean. You're not going to be able to move in battlements against that. Realize a third of it's going to be not just turned to blood, it is going to be destroyed. It's literally going to be devastated and it's not going to be there. And a third of the ships that are on the oceans are going to be destroyed alongside of it. And then the third trumpet. The third trumpet is bitter water. And that's in Revelations 8, 10 through 11. And the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the spring water, on the springs of water. And the name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the water became wormwood, which means bitter, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. So here, number three, star falls from heaven, very projected, very detailed in where it's going to land, and it's going to hit the uh, spring waters, which are under the surfaces that feed the under undersurface river systems where you and I draw our water from, from our cities and from our houses. It's going to be bitter, and that bitterness is going to kill people. And so, but men are going to be so thirsty that they're going to attempt to drink it. I'm sure they're going to try to purify it. They're going to try to do this. But the Bible says that once God turns it, it's going to be turned. Amen? And if you drink of it, you're going to die. And so that's the third. And we realize that that is uh, like a meteorite, something huge. I don't know if it'll be a star. I don't know if it'll be a part of a planet. I don't know what it will be, but it will fall from the sky. Could again, amen. And so when it falls, hallelujah, it's going to be on fire. When it hits, it's going to destroy our water systems. And then let's look at verse, uh, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, chapter 8 and verse 12. This is the fourth trumpet. It is re, uh, restricted, and a third part of the sun and the moon and the stars are going to be blotted out of sight. And let's look at, uh, again, verse 12. And when the fourth angel sounded, a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that the third of them were darkened, a third, and a third of the day did not shine, and likewise was night. In other words, now the whole process of sowing and reaping on planet Earth will be altered. There will only be two-thirds of the time that is needed to grow a radish, a tomato, or anything else. When this lunar system is affected like this, all of the reproductions of animals will be aborted. Animals breed because of the lunar system and of the lunar charts of the earth. And when that is out of, car out of kilter, what will happen is they will stop producing wild animals, domestic animals, 
your, your dogs, your cats, they'll all stop reproducing because this system that sets their reproductive systems in motion will be thrown out of kelter. And so we have to realize that when that happens, that really a reproduction system of one of the food sources that we have by wild animals and by domestic animals. You know, somebody said to me, he said, well, I'm a vegetarian. I don't believe in eating meat. I said, well, that's great. You can chew on them leather shoes you bought. Yeah, people will eat when it, when it is needed. And let me tell you something, whether you're a vegetarian or whether you're not a vegetarian, you get hungry enough, you're going to be chewing on somebody. Yeah, and uh, it won't be me because I won't be here. But other people that I'll give you the address of my in-laws and you can go visit them. And uh, they'll, they've chewed on me enough, hallelujah. Whatsoever they sow is what they should reap, amen. And uh, so we have to understand that this is an enormous uh, thing that is going to take place. But when they also darken, realize that there's just going to be darkness, darkness. See, you can have a reflection from the moon even at night. But when you take away the stars and the moon, there is no reflection of the sun. It is black. And I mean black. So it will be when these things happen, and that will happen in the fourth trumpet. Now the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpets are not called trumpets at all. They are called woes. I think that's worse than a trumpet a woe and that simply means that there is going to be an, a steady increasing of the severity of the judgment of God well why doesn't God just give up on these people because he loves them too much all of redemption has been about people all of creation has been about people everything that God has ever done has been about mankind and so God will not relinquish, even if one would be saved out of all of these catastrophic events, then those catastrophic events would have been set into motion. And so God loves people, and he does believe, and there are a great multitude that is born out of tribulation. So we know they're going to get saved. Yes, well, they'll suffer persecution. That's fine. It's better to die with Christ and to die without him. And so this may take place, but please know that God knows what he's doing. And this is an extension, whether we believe it or not, of mercy and grace. A lack of mercy and grace would be that God would do nothing and just let man die. Never ever unveiling that God was pouring out wrath against unrepentant sinners. That would be a tragedy. But God will not be silent. Each one of these is his voice against wickedness. Each one of these is also his voice and cry to repentance. What did he do with Sodom and Gomorrah? He judged Sodom and Gomorrah, but did he not invite them to repent and to turn? Yes, but they defied God. And so God brought wrath upon them. But the wrath was certainly forewarned and told about by the mercy and the grace of God. 
So we see again that God is a merciful and gracious God. The fifth trumpet, it was the first woe, locusts from the pit. Let's look at uh, Revelation 9, and we have to read really clear through 11. Uh, Revelation 9, 1, it says, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the keys to the bottomless pit. This is the same bottomless pit that the uh, Antichrist and Satan will be thrown into uh, to wait the uh, lake of fire judgment. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke rose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, so that the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Sounds like our house at supper. Then out of the smoke locusts came up on the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God upon their foreheads. Now, there will be the seal of God in the 144,000, but there will also be the seal of God, which will be the seal of the Holy Spirit. This will be within their foreheads, but then there is a seal upon the heart of those that receive Christ during this great tribulation. God will not allow these uh, catastrophic events to destroy, as it were, the wine and the oil. So we have to understand God is protecting us, and we don't want to be here just because, well, you know, God's going to protect us. Listen, if you can't make it today in this mushy society, you're not going to make it when things get tough. Amen? And uh, so, and then in verse 3, and it says, Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And they were commanded not to harm the grass, the earth, or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not, and they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. And in those days when men will seek death, they will not find it. They will desire to die, but death will flee from them. Can you imagine being so tormented that you'd rather die and you can't die? You can't die. Wow. And it says like, uh, in verse 7, uh, and the shape of the locust, this is a wild, a wild, wild description. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. Hopefully that's not going to be the size of a horse. And it says, on their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair frazzled, burnt, wiry. I'm kidding. And their teeth were like lion's teeth. 
Wow, sounds like a spooky little bug to me. And then in verse 9, and they had breastplates, like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. And they had tails like scorpions, and they were, and they were stingers, stings in their tail, and the power was given them to hurt men for five months. And they had as king, they, and they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew was what? Abaddon. But in the Greek, it is the name of, thank you, there you go. Woe, one woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Now, those words mean simply Satan. Satan is the king of these locusts. Now, they are certainly look like they are arrayed in battle, aren't they? I mean, I've, I've picked up locusts before, but none of them had a crown on his head and a shield and a breastplate up on his chest. None of them look like a woman had been to the salon. None of them had teeth like a lion. These are vicious things, and when they are tormenting men, they can't die. They can't die. What a horrible thing that is going to take place. And then the sixth trumpet, the second woe, is an invasion of 200 million horsemen. 200 million of them will come from the east across the Euphrates River in the, from into the Middle East. That's in Revelation 9, 14 down through 16. And they will come, and they will come to destroy and to devour. It is an invasion that man cannot stop and an invasion that they cannot recant or rise up against. It will be formed by God, drawn by his spirit. They will be drawn together as an enemy against those that are righteous and against those that are ungodly. And it says that these will come, armed forces pouring into a place called Armageddon for a battle to take place. And it fits the description in Revelation 16, 12. If you'll go there. Revelation 16, 12, the, the battle of Armageddon is where the blood will be high enough that it'll be about mid-portion of the reins of a horse. 16, 16. Oh, did I say 16, 12? All right, all right, let's look at 12. And it says, and then the sixth angel poured out his bowl of the great, on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And so we see that God is working and bringing that to pass, and there's not going to be anything to stop it. And then it says in verse 16, and they gathered themselves together in the place called in the Hebrew Armageddon. And so that does take place in the great valley of Kidron, which is a great big bowl. 
And uh, so it will hold the blood and it will hold the army. But can you imagine 200 million, 200 million people coming to destroy? These are really supernaturally demonized people. They are possessed by the devil. They are led by the devil. And he knows he has a short time on earth. And God gives him the leeway to gather these men to bring them to the place of the battle of Armageddon. Now, Jesus and you and I will arrive at that battle. And we will be there with Jesus and we will fight these forces that are left and we will fight them Jesus will be there the angels will be there and we will be there arrayed in white this is where Jude says and I saw the Lord coming back with ten thousands of thousands of his saints that's when it takes place when Jesus comes to destroy the 200 million that have come from the uh, east down and they're going to meet in the battle of Armageddon and that's where you and I will join our Savior the King the conqueror the victorious one and you and I and angels will fight side by side and the blood will be as deep as a horse's rein yeah and birds will gather after that and have a feast and then let's look at uh, the seventh seal the seventh uh, trumpet is the third woe and the end of Satan's dominion upon or in this type of warfare and it says that he's going to be destroyed by the power of Jesus Christ now we can uh, look as we look at this if you go to uh, I think it's a uh, chapter 11 15 through 19 Chapter 11, 15 through 19. And it says, Now after the three and a half days, remember there are like seven days, seven weeks, seven years, defined by Daniel. But in the middle of that, that brings us right to here, right here. This is where this is going to take place of the second woe and then the third woe we're going to find out. We're going to discuss a little black book in the next session because we can give it time and, and look at what's in there. So we understand that it's going to be a battle. It is going to be that Jesus, uh, Satan's dominion ends and there is going to be great joy in heaven because the kingdom of this world, Satan's kingdom, comes to an eternal end. It will never be established after that. It will not rule over men. doesn't mean that he will not afflict Israel, and it does not mean that he will not bring these things to pass, the Jewish remnant. He will persecute them, but he will not have dominion as he has had over the Gentile world from this battle on. And so we see that these are going, this is the seventh woe. This is where the kingdom of God is comes to an end Jesus will destroy Satan and all of those that follow him he will lose his dominion and he will set up a kingdom heaven will rejoice because God is preparing to set up the kingdom of his son 
Now that's three and a half years into this seven-year period right here. That seven-year period when this takes place, the seventh woe, when the third woe is over, then is when the enemy, the Antichrist, moves in to the place to afflict Israel. And this is where Israel will flee to the mountains and so forth. So these things are going to take place. We go from seven trumpets to seven, I mean, from seven seals to seven trumpets, really only four trumpets and three woes. But these are going to be devastating things. You have to realize how freaked out people are going to be. 200 men prepared for battle will begin to arrive upon Jewish soil. Men and women will be astounded. Men and women will be shaken to the core. Men and women will not know what to do. There'll be no place for peace. There'll be no refuge. The only place of peace, the only refuge, is the same one that we have today, and that is in Jesus Christ. Amen? And so we're going to talk about some of the other things next week. Uh, again, people say, well, why do we need to know them? Well, why would you not want to know them? You know, uh, Quentin, his mom, was reading the book of Revelation to him, and he said, man, it's freaking me out. That scared me. She said, Quentin, you don't have to be afraid of the book of Revelation. It won't take you to hell, but it'll help scare it out of you. So he had to start making decisions. Had to start making decisions about baseball. You know, I don't think maybe mommy and me playing baseball on Sundays is, is right. Maybe I need to put Jesus first place because it sounds to me like he might not be first if I'm going to play baseball every Sunday. And since then, Quentin has been made uh, the overseer of prayer on his baseball team. His, his coach forgot to do it one time, and Lincoln and Quentin just doesn't like it. And so the coach came back and apologized to him and said, from now on, you'll be over prayer before the games and after the games. And Quentin said, all right, I'll do it. So now Quentin will be leading prayer and making sure that they don't forget prayer. But as he has intensified his life to Christ, Christ has intensified his faith in him. And so realize that God is even using children. A child shall lead them. And uh, if when Quentin's team doesn't uh, pray, you know what he does? He leaves it there and he goes over there and he finds some team that is and he prays with them. And then after it's over, he runs back over and prays for them. Whether they win or lose, he doesn't care. He's just praying. And uh, so your kids are, can have a great impact on people. Uh, you know, they wanted Quentin to uh, play baseball on this traveling team. And they waived the cost, $490 or something. And uh, they waived the cost and said, we just want him to play. And uh, Nikki said, okay, well, that'd be great. Uh, when are you going to play? They told her, and she said, well, we won't make that game, that game, that game. But we'll make this game, we'll make that game. She said, now when is practice? He said, on Wednesday night. She said, well, Quentin won't be playing. The guy said, what do you mean? She said, no, we attend church on Wednesday night. 
And so the guy said, oh, okay. So he hung up, called back a little later, and he said, uh, what if we just exempt Quentin from practice and just let him come and play? Nikki said, well, as long as he don't have to practice on Wednesday nights or church days, that's fine. And he said, uh, and she said, you just made a little boy very happy. And he said, lady, you just made a coach and a baseball team very happy. Listen, take a stand. Take a stand. God will give you favor. Amen? Don't let them rough shod you. Don't let them tell you what you're going to do. Don't let them compromise your faith. Don't let them put you in a place that you are servant to them. Don't put your kids in a place that their individuality and their identity is being forced to be changed because of the pressures of playing sports. Let's all be real. 90% of our kids are never going to see a scholarship and 90% of them are never going to see professional ball, soccer, football, tootsies or whatever else they're playing. So just get those dream things out of your head and realize your kid enjoys sports, but they also enjoy your company. And you can do the very same thing what, without them missing church as you can, taking them fishing, caring for them, talking to them, being with them. And they'd much rather be with you than they would anybody else on planet Earth. They love you and God's bound them to you. Amen? Hallelujah. Stand your feet and let's pray. Praise the Lord. So, there's seven trumpets, seven things that call and remind man that God is at war with the wicked and God is at war with the unsaved. That's a terrible place to be. The Bible tells us that we once were enemies before we knew Christ. We warred against God. We fought against God. We resisted God. We cursed God. And there was none righteous, no, not one. But God is a healing God and a saving God. Amen? And he'll save people. But we do have to do our part. Amen? Let's go to the world. Let's win the world. Because the world needs to hear about Jesus. Amen? If the Quakers don't want him, let's find somebody that does. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. God, that you have revealed to us. God, this time period that we are in, the time of mercy and grace, that, Father, we can be born again by receiving Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. That, God, we can escape, God, the wrath that is to come. Romans 5, 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, 9. God, we thank you. You not appoint us to wrath. You appointed us unto salvation. Now, Father, we ask that you would just stir us, that, God, you would invoke us, that, God, we begin to win the world for Jesus Christ, that, God, not just having friends that are saved, but, God, reaching out to those that are not saved, God, bringing them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let us not be intimidated. Let us not be silenced, God, for the hour is up on us, and, God, the end is near. Let us be about the Father's business. And, God, give us favor, give us boldness, and, God, give us the power to demonstrate a resurrected Christ. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless. We will see you Sunday morning.